everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I'm your host, Drew Scanlon. Danny O'Dwyer is on dad duty again this week, but back joining me, Waypoints, Rob Zachney. What's up, Rob? Hey, just happy to be back. A little disappointed that uh, Belgium doesn't get a national greeting from you. Oh, that'll be in did the pre Did you not want to show. wade into the linguist? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before I break out my Flemish, which is yeah. quite good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could not wait another week of no Formula One, so here we are with some Formula One stuff. Uh, that midseason break, man. Well, it's man. peak silly season. Yeah. It's, it, I've been, like, refreshing, uh, racefans.net every day, just like, what's, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, but thankfully we did have, uh, a pretty good race to send us into, into the summer break. Uh, what, what do you think of, of, um... Hungary. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was good when it was roughly the race I was expecting uh, in a lot of ways. But it was also a race that I think remained really interesting. If you were someone who like really enjoys tire strategy, for instance, again the entire like you know if you really want to get with F one, you're going to get passionate about like tire performance and like ooh, where is the performance cliff going to be? Uh, and that was very much the story of Hungary. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe qualifying stole the show here because uh, the the threat of rain and then lots of rain really threw everybody for a loop. Uh, Ricardo actually got caught out in Q2 and just could not pull it together on the intermediate tires to, to get to Q3. So I think he started 12th or so. Um, and actually, the, the end of qualifying was, was exciting as well because Raikkonen set a really good time. I think maybe the best time of qualifying. Uh, and then Vettel failed to beat it. So we were like, wow, we're going to get a Raikkonen pole position. But then Botas crushed both of them by over two tenths. And then, of course, Hamilton beat Botas by two tenths. So uh, we got kind of a, a two and two setup. Pretty standard. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it ended up being pretty standard. But to get there, it was a kind of classic qualifying. And I think, like, dynamic. Uh, weather conditions with a lot of uncertainty built in is like when F1 gets really, really exciting. And that entire qualifying session, given that it starts with like, well, rain is imminent, but then how hard is it going to rain? Uh, can we get away with, uh, you know, running on slicks here? Do we need to go to Enders? Is it time for full wets? All of that ended up uh, reshuffling a healthy portion of the field. Uh, but, you know, in the end, when, when it all shook out, it was kind of a... Uh, by the numbers front of the grid. Uh, yeah. But it was interestingly reshuffled, I would say, like from row three onwards. Uh, it was interesting, like who didn't make it, you know, out of, out of, out of uh, Q1, uh, who wasn't able to, I think, uh, I think a couple of people might not, might not have even been able to set times. I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah. Stroll did not set a time because he spun and then crunched off his front wing and actually had to, they had to fix it while in park Ferme, which means he had to start from the pit lane. So he didn't even make the grid technically. Uh, but you're right. Red Bull, who I, I think a lot of people expected to be really good that weekend, did not pull it together in the rain for, for qualifying. Uh, Danny Rick again, starting in 12th and Verstappen's only starting seventh um, ahead of him. Uh, in fifth place, Carlos Sainz Jr. and Pierre Gasly in fifth and sixth. So um, not Red Bull's day for, for qualifying, at least. 
Uh, yeah, I was a little I was a little surprised by that, uh, given that I'm not sure what happened with Ricardo. Like it was it was just a weird thing to get the timing that incredibly wrong uh, and the tire selection that like that bad. I, I don't understand how they how they let him down that badly in uh, Q2. Yeah, well, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll maybe get to Ricardo's frustrations later in the show, but uh, to round out the top ten, we've got Brendan Hartley in eighth place, followed by Kevin Magnuson, uh, and then Roman Grosjean, who incidentally was, I think, impeded by, or he certainly looked impeded by Max Verstappen in qualifying three, uh, but no action was taken from the stewards, and I think Haas even just like kind of shrugged and whatever. Um, but outside the top 10, we've got Fernando Alonso in that uh, nice 11th place, followed by Danny Rick in 12th, uh, Hulkenberg in 13th, followed by Ericsson, uh, Van Dorn, Leclerc outqualified by his teammate uh, down in 16th place, Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez back-to-back on row 17, or on row 9 in places 17 and 18, and then the Williams boys, Sergei Sorokin and Lance Stroll, starting from the pit lane. Uh... Let's go to the race. What do you say? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it was, uh, you know, it it was an exciting start. Like a lot needs to happen at the start in Hungary. Like if you're if you're going to attack, that's one of the better places to do it. Yeah. Um, and I would say it got off to. I, I was amazed we didn't have any bigger incidents. Uh, it, it was it was an exciting start, but like a surprisingly. A surprisingly clean one, given how knives out people were with each other. Yeah, they were really kind of all over the place, back and forth, uh, <laughs> diving, looking at stuff. But you're right, pretty clean. Some nice scrapping between Raikkonen and Vettel, with Vettel actually edging around Raikkonen on the outside of turn two, which is a pretty great move. So uh, with um, the Hungaroring, you've got this sharp right-hander is turn one off of the uh, the start-finish straight. And then you got a long left turn. Uh, which people can go on the outside of as long as you can keep your keep your grip going, and that's what Vettel did. Uh, Verstappen though made a great start as well, passing uh, Ga- uh, Gasly and Signs and moving up into fifth place pretty quickly. Uh, there was a little bit of chaos in the back of the field. Ericsson drove over uh, uh, Ricardo's left front and bounced himself up. Um, and a few seconds later, Leclerc and Perez touched tires, which actually, I think, broke Leclerc's suspension or something. In any event, he had to go out of the Leclerc race. Leclerc kind of got sandwiched by the... I think I think he had Force Indias on either side of him. He was trying yeah. to sort of split the difference between them. And it was just... First of all, you're a brave man to ever get between the two Force Indias uh, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Like, if there are two drivers that I do not want to get between... Uh, it's Ocon Perez. That's a really uh, good point. So I'd like, honestly, probably, <laughs> probably should have known better than to stick your nose in there. <laughs> uh, but at, at the same time, uh, again, it's, it's congested start. Uh, people try to make moves and the impression I always get is it's really hard for drivers to have much of a sense for like the blind spot on these cars is huge, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's tough to have a sense of what's happening. Like, you know, well, it's your back can, left or back right. Yeah, and things can change so quickly, right? Like the guy who was behind you a half second ago is suddenly next to you. Like you yeah. can't keep track of that. It's not like the freeway where you can kind of say like, oh, this guy is probably going to be passing me at like 10 miles an hour. You, you, yeah, you, you don't really know. Um, watch like watching the onboards uh, on F1's YouTube channel sometimes can really give me an impression of what that's like because they if. 
particularly at the start, when you follow someone, um, someone's camera, just they're, they're looking forward, they're forward looking camera on a start. It's just the, the number of decisions they have to make so quickly for such a prolonged period. It's, it's amazing that there aren't more incidents. Yeah. And there are those moments too. You see the, the tail cam and you realize how quickly, you know, the, other, the the nearest car might be like a football field behind you. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they're just there on top of you. And yeah. it happens in the blink of an eye. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's 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 a incredibly dynamic uh, sort of racing. You really got to got to have your head up. Uh, but, yeah, no, no major catastrophes. Um, and I would say, like, there wasn't like something that started ha- happening early that I think sort of set a tone for one of the best parts of this race is that um Ricardo starts making moves, trying to claw back uh, the positions he lost on, uh, you know, on qualifying. Mm-hmm. And I thought his move on uh, uh, Stoffel was absolutely fantastic. Like, like throughout, like as as he would do throughout the day, uh, Ricardo has this ability to make almost like these suicide dives yeah. uh, down the inside past people from way and, back. And, like, breaking so late that it seems impossible. Like, even Martin Brundle was talking about it, where he's like, you have a sense, you watch enough racing, that, like, okay, there's just not enough tarmac left for them to make, for this driver to make this turn. Somehow, Ricardo has some weird, like, synergy with his brakes or something. (laughs) He finds braking that other drivers can't. Yeah. uh, And manages to execute these moves. It's, it happened again and again throughout that day. The, the move on Van Doren was, uh, one of the one of the first ones, but it really sort of established like you know the kind of race he was going to drive, which was mostly I think a, a gem, uh, just this methodical uh, move through the field with, with a series of really really daring moves. Um, didn't expect him to be the bright spot for Red Bull, but yeah, uh, lap six for Stappen has to pull over with a power unit failure. Um... Presumably, I, th- I think it was the MGUH, or maybe I'm conflating that with some other, <laughs> some other Red Bull mechanical MGUK. failure. MGUK. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was that was Horner a few minutes later when when they interviewed him. Okay. Uh, yeah, he said it was the K. Okay. Uh, but yeah, plenty of swearing over the radio from Max, which is understandable. Like they have had a lot of of bad stuff happen to their cars because of that Renault engine, uh, which is I guess yeah. why they're changing to Honda next year. <laughs> Yeah, they were telling him that, you know, they're doing the classic thing of, like, pull over, stop the car, you know, risk the engine. And, you know, his response is, I don't fucking care if the engine blows up. Uh, I'm so fucking sick of this fucking shit, honestly. Uh, And, yeah, that relationship looks like it's completely uh, kaput at this point. Like, just just a terrible marriage. Did Did you hear uh, Horner when they were talking to him? Uh, during the race, uh, uh, asking you, about the the engine incident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, by the way, if Christian Horner ever just wants to get an F one commentary, I am totally here for it. Oh, like yeah, a great. lot of a lot of people who like talk from like call in from the pit pit row uh, pit wall can sound kind of forced or they don't want to be there or they sound like suits. Uh, Horner just he loves to talk about F one and yeah. like. Shoot the shit with these guys, but um, he was he was pissed, uh, and you know he actually said like we pay millions for a first class product. Obviously, we're some way below that, and uh, I'll let <laughs> Cyril come up with class. excuses. 
Yeah. And it says, I'll let Cyril come up with excuses afterwards. And Cyril being the head of uh, Renault regarding why the engine keeps blowing up. Yeah. Uh, which it's rare you hear like personal attacks go out like that, but uh, that's where Red Bull is at. Well, I mean, was it two years ago or last two years ago? I think they, yeah. like, they were like, we, we will not have a Renault engine next year. And everyone was like, well, what, what else are you going to have? A Mercedes? Do you remember the solution? Yeah, their solution. their solution was it'll be Renault, but it'll be a Tag Heuer. Yeah, we're <laughs> their just gonna, solution was we're just going to cover our ears and eyes. And we're just like, it's not a Renault. Paste a watchmaker logo on top so you don't know it's a Renault. God, I yeah, that it just it makes so much sense that they're going Honda. Like it, it, even if like who, Honda could say anything. Like we don't even know if our engine's going to be good next year. Fine, whatever, we'll take it. Yeah. Well, and there's, after a point, you've just got to be able to tell your drivers. Um, and again, like, <laughs> we'll get to all of this later in the show because there's a lot happens at, at Red Bull. But after a point, and this is where it gets dangerous, um, unless you're Ferrari or Mercedes, really you have no cause to be happy or confident in your engine situation, period. Yeah. Like, like unless you're being supplied by one of those two manufacturers, uh, you, you have, like, you're going to be lying awake at night wondering about the quality of your engine next year. And uh, yet, after a point, you just have to make the move. You just have to show that, like, you're not going to keep doing the same thing again and again and keep this, like, you know, uh, flagging partnership alive. I think that was kind of the situation McLaren got into last year where it's like, uh, it seems like reports have certainly indicated McLaren's problems run much deeper Mm -hmm. than just the, the Honda partnership. But at a certain point, you just need to determinate that marriage to show you're doing something. And that's a change you can make. Yeah. Um, you need to show your, yeah, your drivers that you're, <laughs> someone is fighting for them uh, or is, or that you're at least making decisions, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it totally makes sense um, why they're going to Honda. And also worth pointing out, uh, the Formula One official podcast, Beyond the Grid, interviewed Christian Horner um, like the day after uh, <laughs> their news. I need to listen to this podcast. It's pretty Shit. good. And Horner basically, he's like completely unchained. Um, not not in. He's not angry or anything. He's just uh, very candid and will talk openly about <laughs> a lot of things. So uh, that one's that's a really good episode to listen to. Um, but yeah, Verstappen's got to pull over with power unit failure. He goes out of the race. Um, and then we get a pretty good battle between Ricardo and Magnussen. Uh, by lap 21, Ricardo has already made it up to behind Magnussen, who is in sixth place. And Ricardo eventually swings it to the outside like Fettel did at turn two and gets by Magnussen. Um, I, I really enjoy watching Magnussen uh, drive. And that was, yeah. uh, I think, him a, a good example of him punching above his weight and defending against Ricardo well, uh, which I think he does. Um, as much as uh, Hulkenberg likes to say that he's the most unsporting driver on the grid. <laughs> uh, a few laps later, sorry, did you have something there? No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna note. I had a quick, I had a quick thing uh, somewhere in there. Uh, Grosjean starts having some weird communications with his pit wall too, um, where he's just he's openly worrying about the fact that he's going to crash on his tires, um, and he's just like telling them like. These are unsafe. I, I shouldn't be out here. Like, please bring me in. 
and the team, like, just totally bloodless on the air. They're just being like, your temperatures look fine, man. Stay out there. <laughs> uh, and it goes to that, like... I'm really curious about where Groshan's head is at yeah. these days. Um, I'm not sure, like... It's no secret. I don't think he's. I don't think he's particularly safe right now. That's yeah. the impression I got. Uh, but now it sort of seemed like, for a lot of reasons, his. Con- I can see a lot of reasons why his confidence would be shaken at this point in the season. Yeah. Uh, but that seemed to be playing out now on the track. Um, and again, I'm just curious what that dynamic is like and yeah. how that's going to be interpreted. He could also be like hedging his bets a little bit. Like, hey. I'm having a hard time out here. Uh, I I told you I was going to crash, and that's and you didn't bring me in. That's why I crashed. If that were to happen, right? So he's like galaxy brain, like basically. <laughs> you know, I usually fuck up and crash at some point in a race. So what I'll do is early in the race say I'm going to crash because of these bad tires. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I don't know. He has crashed uh, out of three races, which is the most of any driver this year. Um, and neither of them have contracts yet for next year. So mm. uh, we shall see. Uh, a few laps later, Ricardo dispatches with Gasly uh, with that trademark dive from downtown at turn one and gets by no problem. Um, and then the next thing I have is lap 40. Um, Vettel is the last of the front runners to pit and does so on lap 40. Gets a bad stop. There's a problem with the front left. And he aimed, he had aimed to come out ahead of Botas, but he, uh, with that stop, comes out in, in behind him in third. There were a lot of teams struggling with their pit stops this weekend. Frequently yeah. front tires. And I'm kind of wondering, it was hot as hell after those rains on Saturday. And uh, that was one thing they all commented on was that just track temperatures were through the roof. Uh, compared to how they've been for the entire week previously. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering between the increased track temps and uh, just the strain that the course itself puts on the car, I'm just wondering if, like, you're running into physical issues with, like, uh, you know, the uh, the wheel nuts, basically. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, threads, threads getting, like, jammed together, uh, metal being a little bit expanded. I'm just... I don't know, uh, but it just, I was struck by how many teams like found themselves struggling to haul a wheel off yeah. <laughs> the front of the car this weekend. Yeah, you know, the, the, that's a class of people that we never, ever hear from is like the boots on the ground engineer uh, or e- even the, the race engineer who's talking to the driver. Like, I, I never see those guys get talked to. And maybe it's because I don't have like Sky's, you know, $100 package or whatever it is where they just have a Formula One channel. Um, but I would love to hear more from those guys about the problems that go on and how you fix them. Things like that. Like when, when some guy retires from that and goes and watches a race on at home, what does he see when things like that happen? Oh, clearly it's a, a, you know, a a humidity issue or whatever. Like does what in that world, uh, are we not seeing? Yeah, I mean, that's one reason why I miss, uh, like, Steve Matchett being on the NBC crew. Uh, that's that right. experience is pretty dated, but, like, that was a guy who lived and died with the guys in the pits because he used to be a mechanic Yeah, uh, with, um, I think, Benetton Renault back in the day. And so he still always 
like sort of brought that perspective on the various things that could go wrong, um, why he hated refueling, uh, but also it was always hilarious because he would just get so into like he would start like giving the guys pep talks on the air. It was ridiculous. Like he would start like giving these unres like just through the TV, just giving pep talks to the pit crews. <laughs> all right, boys, I you trained <laughs> yeah. for this. All right, it's all it's all to play. It was it was great stuff. Uh, quick thing I'll toss in here. Um, you know, early in the race, there's a weird there's a weird dynamic between Raikkonen and Botas and the way the two teams are positioning their secondary drivers mm. uh, with pit stops, where Raikkonen comes in super early to get onto the softs, and the theory is like, well, okay, he's kind of forcing the Botas's hand. Is Botas going right. to stay out, or is he going to is he going to risk losing track position by staying out there longer and being on? degraded tires while Raikkonen's eating up ground. So Bodas comes in immediately. Um, and so he stops on like lap 16 and it's kind of, it doesn't, it's kind of iffy as to whether he's going to be able to make it to the end. Uh, but it's clear at that point, but Mercedes is definitely using Bottas and they were from the start as kind of a blocker for Hamilton, like Hamilton's buffer to just like drive this thing to victory is, you know, from the start, Botas kind of tried to uh, run interference in front of the Ferraris. And then here again, his entire his race strategy is kind of being dictated uh, yeah. by the Ferrari strategy. And I got to say, like, I, I ended up feeling like Botas put in a heroic drive for the most part. Um, like, he stops really early and he nurses those tires along to a ridiculous degree. And it certainly seemed like after Vettel came out, even though he had that bad spot, uh, that, that bad stop, it seemed like with fresh tires and with Botas clearly being wounded, um, Vettel should just be able to dust him. And that doesn't happen. No. No, Botas stays ahead of him for a long, long time um, and only really starts to slip back toward Vettel like five laps from the end of the race. Um, I guess between that time, Van Dorn goes out with a gearbox issue, which is a bummer because he was an eighth right behind Alonso. I feel so bad for Van Dorn. Like any teammate to Fernando, no one wants to be teammates with Fernando Alonso. Uh, and then you add to the fact that it's McLaren and they're just the floundering, it seems. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for that guy, especially because it seems like such a nice guy in that Amazon documentary. Yeah, yeah. And like a really talented driver at every tier of racing he's he's been at he doesn't have the sponsorship connections or anything that can sometimes help young drivers like get a leg up uh he's really worked his way into it um and mclaren kind of leave him looking like an asshole week after week yeah uh, but yeah, Botas does eventually slip closer and closer to Vettel uh, on his older tires, and Vettel uses this opportunity on lap 66 to pounce. Uh, he tries to go on the outside uh, of Botas on the entry to turn two, um, but Botas, who is on the inside, locks up as Vettel is turning in, uh, and Vettel just clips Botas's front wing, um, which of course compromises Botas's car, and he just... He doesn't plummet through the field, but he's going much, much slower. Uh, and on lap 68, he's tussling for uh, for fourth place with Ricardo, um, who has got DRS, and he's screaming up the uh, outside uh, on turn one. Botas is on the inside, and because he's got that front wing damage, can't turn sharply enough and hits Ricardo, 
pushing him off the track and doing quite a bit of body damage, body damage to, uh, to Ricardo's car. Um, Botas is told to give the position back and then says, it's his own fault for trying to come outside of me. I'm not going to let him by. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, clearly he's just so, he's so angry. Like I, I, I haven't seen angry Botas uh, very often, but I have got to imagine that he is tired uh, in this race of playing um, playing wingman. Actually, is what uh, Toto Wolf called him after the race, uh, which Botas also did not appreciate. Just uh, that unerring instinct in the Mercedes garage. Like, how do we make sure we have the happiest driver lineup possible? Uh, every yeah. every year, they find some way to make sure that. Everyone feels valued and respected uh, in that driver lineup. Um, yeah, yeah, like it was. Did you so watching it live? Um, like they were interviewing Horner while that pass happened too. Yeah, Ricardo, uh, and it's great because again, like Horner is a pretty good racing commentator. It turns out, and he starts like sort of narrating what he's seeing, uh, and he makes the comment as uh, Ricardo goes around to the outside. He's like, oh. Going the hard way around. Okay, well, hope he doesn't understeer, uh, he meaning Botas. And immediately you hear, like, there's the thwack. And you hear Horner like, just, like, scream like, fuck. <laughs> and then they cut, his, they cut his audio feed. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, he, he saw it coming. Now, I am, cur- I am a little curious. Um, I do wonder, like, if... Like, we'd all been watching uh, Bota struggle around. Like, his tires are shot at that point. He's got no front uh, no front arrow uh, at that point. It was clear to anyone who's watching his race specifically that, like, his car was dubiously still in control, right? Like, it, like it was yeah. no longer really uh, particularly race-worthy. Um, and Ricardo still goes for this, like, really uh, edgy move uh, mm-hmm. uh, around him. Uh, and I wonder, like... Did he just like was he was he just feeling gutsy? Did he not know just how barely under control Botas's car was uh, at that point? Because I don't think Botas like was was throwing an elbow in that one. Like I legitimately think uh, Botas just it, like doesn't really have much of a handle on the car at that point. Like there's a little lockup as he begins the turn in, yeah, and and that's like just from the slightest pressure on the brake. Uh, he's already losing the front end, so he just. Cuts the corner, kind of, and yeah. hammers uh, Dan- Daniel. Yeah, I. It's it's hard to know, uh, you know what <laughs> what people know at what time. Uh, that seems like something that you would tell your driver, Ricardo, that hey, this guy is missing most of his front wing. Uh, who knows? You know, uh, maybe he did know, and he just thought he'd go for it. Um, but yeah, uh, he does get by. Ricardo does. Um, and finishes the race despite some damage. Same with Botas. Hamilton wins the Grand Prix uh, out in first. Behind him, Sebastian Vettel, who got ahead of Raikkonen on that split strategy. Uh, Danny Rick coming home in fourth place uh, in front of Valtteri Botas in fifth. Behind them, we got Gasly in sixth, Magnussen in seventh, Alonso in eighth, uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. in ninth, and Grosjean holds on to tenth place. Outside the points, we get Hartley, uh, Hulkenberg, Ocon, Perez, Ericsson, Sorotkin, and Stroll. Van Dorn, Verstappen, and Leclerc uh, are uh, DNFs for their gearbox, power unit, and accidents, uh, respectively. Um, 
I think, let's see, Botas did also get a 10-second penalty for colliding with Ricardo, but that did not drop him down. Yeah, like a 30-second margin. Yeah. Um, also, uh, baby, Ki- baby Kimi, really cute. Uh, <laughs> yes. In, 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 in victory lane, it's great. Uh, you know, because they, they come in, they do the interviews, and all the drivers there uh, usually like saying hi to their teams and everything. Kimi's getting some kind of lecture from his wife, which just looks like hilarious. Like she's like, giving him some sort of rundown really uh it's yeah like not not like the, there's no anger but she's just like letting him know well she's giving him a full download on something <laughs> uh but then also there's an extremely like it like what would a toddler uh kimi raikkonen be like well that's that's kimi kid yeah uh super cute it was it was great and somebody like tries to get him to engage with uh you know say something about his kid and kimi you know i think i think the interviewer says like Oh, you know, your, your your son looks happy too, and Kimi's like, "Yeah, he's always happy. It's great." <laughs> wow, that's as close as we're gonna get to uh, emotion from Kimi Raikkonen. So good. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, he he should be happy. Raikkonen's in third place in the driver standings now, uh, behind Sebastian Vettel, who's got one eighty nine, but uh, Lewis is on top with two thirteen. Botas in fourth place with 132. Danny Rick in fifth with 118. Verstappen's got 105. Hulkenberg with 52. Magnussen with 45. Alonso with 44. And Perez is in 10th with 30, tied with Carlos Sainz. Uh, Ocon's got 29. Gasly's got 26. Grosjean with 21. Leclerc with 13. Van Dorn's got 8. Marcus Erickson with five, Stroll's got four, Hartley has two points, and Sergei Sorotkin still bringing up the uh-oh. Uh, in constructor standings, Mercedes on top once more with 345 points. Ferrari just behind with 335. I'm so pleased to say that going into the summer break. Uh, Red Bull's got 223. Renault with 82. Haas, Gene Haas, with 66. Force India with 59. McLaren's got 52. Scuderia Toro Rosso with 28. Sauber's got 18. And Williams has four. Oh, finally, finally, Rob, let's take it to the news. Yeah. Okay. The biggest news in Formula One, Daniel Ricciardo not returning to Red Bull next year. So that was the initial news. And then everyone was like, well, then where is he going? Renault, as it turns out. What what were your knee-jerk impressions to that? Like sad resignation, I think is like <laughs> honestly, like if you're asking, like what, like uh, how did I feel about that? Uh, I felt like sad and resigned about it because this is kind of the this is exactly the sort of move that I was kind of expecting. Hmm. Um, I felt like Ricardo is is in a weird spot because there weren't a lot of appetizing number one driver roles that were open for him right now. Like you know, Mercedes is sewn up. Uh, Ferrari clearly, like if they're going to do anything, it's going to be sort of making a generational uh, shift with with their driver lineup. Yeah, um, you know, and then so where are you? Like, where are you seriously like going to be looking for contenders? Well, you're already driving for one. Is the problem like your your best option is Red Bull? The problem is Red Bull is increasingly Max's house. Or at least that's that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it might be that like Max is going to make his own moves, uh, you know, in, in the coming years. But for now, 
I'm not sure. Like, I understand Ricardo's reluctance to stay there, uh, given some of the dynamics with Max and just some of the frustrations with you know, how the team has been doing. But I don't know that. I don't know that I've seen a lot from Renault that makes me think like, ah, now this is this is Ricardo's road to a championship. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's something that uh, Horner said in that podcast actually was that he he's just kind of conjecturing about why Ricardo would want to leave. And he the one thing that stuck with me is that he uh, he said he might want to be a big fish in a smaller pond, um, which is makes a lot of like the 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 Red Bull pond is quite big. Uh, and there's another big fish there. So if Ricardo really wants, like he says, to to be challenged, which is kind of his, um, what he has been saying, uh, racefans.net has some good Ricardo quotes. He says, uh, it was probably one of the most difficult decisions to take in my career so far, uh, but I thought that it was time for me to take on a fresh and new challenge. I realized that there's a lot ahead in order for uh, to allow Renault to reach their target of competing at the highest level, but I've been impressed by their progression in only two years, which is a good point. Uh, I know that each time Renault has been in the sport, they eventually won. I hope to be able to help them in this journey and contribute on and off track. So I think you're right. I think he was afraid of getting overshadowed by Verstappen uh, and wanted to throw his hat in with someone where he could be uh, the leader, the star. Um, you know, <laughs> it's interesting to hear what Hulkenberg would have to say about that, who will now be his teammate and has been there forever, or he's been, I guess, <laughs> second fiddle forever for a lot of teams. Um, I, I think the the weird part about this is that Ricardo had so many DNFs this year with uh, a Renault engine, and he's going to... <laughs> the house that those engines are from. Yeah, uh, you know, there's always the prayer that, like, okay, if you're going, if you're going to a works team, um, that well, at least now you're in the center of power, right? Like Renault is making engines for Renault first and foremost, and its customers second. Mm-hmm. Uh, may, like, there's always the hope that if they're going to get it right for anyone, they're going to get it right for themselves, and you'll be there when they finally get the formula. Uh, and you're better off in that position than being at a customer customer team, which it's weird. Like Red Bull's in a weird place because they they're they're a major team, but they don't make their own engines. They're still dependent on at least one source outside their control. Yeah, and like th- like this is you could see you could see a world where this ends up being a roll of the dice that really really works out. Um, but. I just I'm a, I'm a little bit skeptical given how the Renault engines have been doing, and I'm just not sure that Renault seems like a team that's ready, really ready to take that leap. Yeah. Um, so we actually got an email uh, into uh, f1.cool/emails from Alec, who uh, has got some stat for stats for us on this exact topic. He says uh, Renault's engine reliability this year hasn't been great. Uh, Red Bull, McLaren, and Renault have racked up a total of 11 DNFs for mechanical failures this year, giving the overall universe of Renault-powered teams a mechanical failure rate of just over 15%. However, of those 11 failures, five have been Red Bull, five have been McLaren, and only one has been for a Renault factory team, Hulkenberg, in Austria. That means that, at least as of this summer break, the factory team's mechanical failure rate is just over 4%, as opposed to Red Bull and McLaren's 20%. That's a great point. So they, I mean, you're right. They know how to, to uh, I guess, well, coddle their engine. 
Yeah, and I mean, just think about that scene in um, the Amazon doc about McLaren, where the yeah. Honda engine co- shows up, a lot of Honda, Honda engineers, and the first thing out of the box is, okay, how do we connect it to the car? Yeah. And nobody knows, because <laughs> the engine was designed, apparently, without really much reference to the car that McLaren were actually building. And so the first step everyone has to do is, like, well, I guess we got to mount this thing. Uh, so let's start, like, machining parts and trying to figure that out. Uh, which seems wild and seems really tricky and a weird thing to like leave for a final step. You don't have to worry about that. The- hope I would hope you don't have to worry about that at Renault, where hopefully like the people laying out the engine and uh, its mountings are going to be talking to the people like building the chassis. Yeah. Uh, so th- that that would lead me to be- believe this is more like a Hamilton going from McLaren to Mercedes than Alonso going from Ferrari to McLaren, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is all totally up in the air. Like, if uh, if that is the case, if, if Renault gets their act together and as a works team totally brings it together, Ricardo is going to have a great time. He's, he's the, and he's the perfect person for them uh, because he has all this experience with the Renault engine. Uh, however, if they are still kind of uh, business as usual. And that Honda engine miraculously gets great in the hands of Red Bull, who, you know, uh, it should be said, has uh, you know, some of the best aerodynamics in the game. But then it would look like a bad move. So it's I'm now even more excited for 2019. Do we know anything about like where or if signs is going to end up? No, we don't. So that's the big mm-hmm. question. Um Signs is out now uh, at Renault. He was on loan from the Red Bull program to Renault uh, for this year. So the the drivers that are in Red Red Bull's driver program are Signs and Gasly. So those are yeah. the two obvious choices. Um, to me, Gasly I think makes slightly more sense for a few reasons. One, uh. This is such splitting hairs, but in that same interview, Horner says that Red Bull likes to invest in youth, and Gasly is a year younger than Sainz, but at least that's something. Uh, two, Gasly has outperformed his teammate handily this season. Uh, he outqualified Hartley 7-3 to three and outfinished him 4-2. Uh, to two. Sainz, meanwhile, has been outqualified by Hulkenberg 7-5 to five and outfinished 6-2. to two. Uh, third, and maybe I put too much stock in this, but it sure does seem to matter. Gasly has raced all season with a Honda engine, which is what Red Bull will be using next year. Signs has only raced an F1 with Renault engines. Okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It, it, I, can, I can see that, yeah. Like, he hasn't distinguished himself particularly, but he didn't turn in a bad performance. Um, no, I, I think he's probably a solid driver, but also the announcement hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't a snap decision. So the Hulkenberg comparison is interesting too, and this is the thing that makes me apprehensive for uh, for Ricardo. Hulkenberg is a great driver; like he was from day one, like a yeah. tremendous driving talent. The stars never aligned for him to get the seats he needed to like have a championship winning career, right? Like he was always like, well, you know, if you want a really great driver to put in a middling team, uh, Hulkenberg will probably like drive your car further up the results than it necessarily deserves to be. Yeah. And that leaves you in a position where 
you're a respected driver, but the era when people are like considering Nico for like, you know, a primary seat at a major team, that's that window's kind of closed. Um, and I worry a little bit like Ricardo's going to walk in the door and one, I think I think Nico's going to be tougher to uh, to knock off than he thinks. And uh, two, yeah, uh, you know, you could end up, it could be a little bit of history repeating. I wonder if he's harder than Verstappen to be a teammate to, though. Well, here's my other question. Do you think... Do you think Red Bull had an equally good relationship with both drivers? Do you think Red Bull valued both drivers equally? Uh, I mean, to hear Horner say it, they absolutely did. Um, And... I don't know. I, I believe that, but it's, I think it's probably, you know, the things that we don't see, which is like, you're at a media junket and all the reporters want to talk to Verstappen, right? Um, stuff like that. Or you do a great race and then everyone talks about how Verstappen crashed out, right? So I imagine that would just wear on you. Uh, and maybe it doesn't for someone like Ricardo, but maybe it does. So yeah, um, I, I I've always been a little skeptical of it because like they rushed Max into they rushed him in F one like literally I think they had the dispensation to promote him in F one as as young as they did, hmm. um, and then you know from from the start again a youth leaning company there's there's all this sort of mystique around uh, Max what a, what an incredibly young talent he is, uh, you know his freaking father is always there in the in the pit garage like talking to the <laughs> team bosses stare. yeah like i i don't like i don't like yas uh there's there are so many stories about him uh that just paint him as someone who just sounds like a complete asshole at best hmm. um like the, like allegations of abuse and, and and stuff like that and like Ow, the stories okay. that he felt comfortable talking like you heard the story about how he just didn't speak to max for like three weeks once right that does not surprise me I mean, like, he, this is a story he publicly tells. Like, this is a story he tells about, like, what a cool racing dad he was. Like, this is how I made Max the driver he is today. Oh Max boy. pops up at a karting race. And uh, Yosa's response is to literally give his son the silent... And by the way, Max is, like, 12 in the story, maybe younger. Uh, Yosa's response is to literally, like, not speak to him for weeks. And this is Yosu tells the stories he's told to multiple reporters, demonstrating like the kind of tough love approach he gave and like how he always made sure that, you know, Max would learn his lessons. And so one, hate that guy. That guy sounds like a dirtbag. <laughs> uh, if, if that's the story he tells in public, I wonder what the private ones are. Uh, but, but also then that dude's just hanging around your, your garage all the time, you know, politicking with the, with the, with the team's senior leadership. Um, I don't know. I could, I, the, it, it just seemed to me like there was a lot of investment in Max and a lot of like special treatment for Max that if you're Ricardo, whether or not the garages are being treated equally, it doesn't quite feel like, uh, you know, the, the table is level. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of investment and driver complications and race dads, uh, Force India 
as I think we discussed uh, last time, was I don't really know how the business, uh, you know, workflow or whatever. How I don't know how this works, but Perez initiated um, bankruptcy proceedings for Force India because uh, he says he wanted to save the team. Um, and the team has been saved by none other than Lance Stroll's dad. Uh, and uh, a number of other fellow investors, um, Canadian entrepreneur, Andre, I'm not going to read the names, a Canadian entrepreneur, a fashion business leader, telecommunications investor, financial expert, and one of Stroll's business partners. So a bunch of people went in on Force India Their creditors will be paid in full, and all 405 jobs at the team have been saved, uh, according to motorsport.com. The, let's see, uh, team principal Omar Safnauer says, uh, this outcome secures the future of Force India, uh, of the Force India team in Formula One, and will allow our team of racers to compete to our full potential. So uh, this is great news. Uh, yeah, I don't, I really, I don't really care who it is that comes and save this team, but Force India is a special team, and they deserve to be in Formula One. Uh, who knows what this means for uh, drivers there? Maybe Perez is thinking like, nah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, I mean, is like so they haven't said anything yet about like just bringing Lance in, right? Like they're not pushing that idea. I, no one has said that, but everyone's thinking it. Yeah. Boy, that's <laughs> that is awkward because like once he's in there, man. Uh, are they, what are they going to drop him? Yeah, think how long Maldonado <laughs> stuck around the sport yeah. because he had some sponsorship deals. Yeah. Uh, you know who was it? Like Carlos Slim was that it backing him? Uh, I think it was the uh, Venezuelan oil company. Jesus, yeah. Uh, so like, it's like pastor like times ten. Uh, I, I think in this situation, I'm not now. Now Stroll is not as memorable as Pastor. <laughs> not, <laughs> not yet. yet. Not exactly. yet. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, no. But I'm with you though. Like I'm really glad this team made it because for a while with uh, Vijay Malio's, uh, you know, legal problems and sort of like, it's always weird when your team principal is like kind of literally uh, sort of one step ahead of creditors and possibly like the law. Yeah. Um, I am glad that a team that really did like, you know, even from the start, like, like they came out strong, they came out swinging. I'm glad they're going to get to keep racing. Um, yeah. I just hope that good drivers, uh, you know, get, get a chance there and it doesn't turn into, you know, daddy bought, daddy bought me a racing team. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Uh, that you're right. That would be weird. I, I am still not convinced that stroll is bad necessarily. Uh, I, I think it's impossible to tell in a Williams. Um, so also very fair. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, talk about teams needing an intervention. Holy shit. Oh boy. Uh, and if stroll leaves, that's some more dollars out of Williams's pocket. So, Ugh. uh, silly season. Rolls on. Um, while we're on the subject of driver comparisons, racefans.net has some great articles uh, that compare everybody on the grid. I will link to both of them in the show notes, but uh, there are a few stats I found interesting. Um, the first article compares teammates, showing how many times a driver outqualified his teammate, that kind of stuff. Um, 
Uh, but then there are some other, there's another one that's just like some, some fun stats. So uh, on average, Valtteri Bottas, is, this is all like for the first half of this uh, season. On average, uh, Valtteri Bottas has finished 0.9 places lower than he started this year, which is the worst of any driver. But it's partially due to him being classified 14th in Baku due to his puncture. Without that, he would have averaged a gain of 0.1 places. Uh, there's the one that the commentators like to mention that Kimi Raikkonen has failed to gain a place on every lap one uh, so far this year, which is kind of insane. Um, let's see some other good stuff. Uh, last year's summer break, Esteban Ocon was down nine to two against Perez in qualifying and behind eight to two on race finishes this year. He's up nine to three and seven to two respectively by far the biggest swing of any driver who has the same teammate. Um, Brendan Hartley has completed the fewest racing laps ahead of his teammate at 90. Uh, And ignoring qualifying sessions, which were affected by incidents, Charles Leclerc has the biggest advantage over his teammate in terms of single lap pace, 0.489 seconds, which is a lot. Uh, Also, not only is Sergei Sorokin the only driver yet to score a point so far this year, he is also yet to compete a single racing lap inside the top 10. Ouch. Uh, In other news, there were a few days of testing held at Hungary after the Grand Prix, so a lot of young driver talent got to drive. Uh, Mercedes's George Russell set the fastest lap. Uh, And Robert Kubica got to drive some more uh, of the Williams, which is decked out in some fantastic flow-viz all over the car. So this is the stuff they paint on, like, the front wing to see how the paint propagates over the rest of the car. And because Williams has absolutely no idea what's going on with their aerodynamics, they cover the car with different colors of Flovis. It looks really, really cool. But also, it's like literally like a sign of just how in the weeds they are with their car. Just yes. like the other teams are like, all right, we just need to see a couple things, like put a little dab here and there. And like, right. meanwhile, Williams are just it's like, what is happening? Just, just shellac this thing. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Haas did not do any testing, um, because they are, uh, tight with their money, which I think was smart. Magnuson said, I don't think we have much to test anyway. In that case, it's a waste of money if you don't have anything to learn. Of course, you can always learn, but you have to balance up how much you learn versus how much you spend, and we could just spend that money better in our situation. They, I think, have said, like, listen, we're already, (laughs) we've given up on our 2018 car. That's just... We'll we'll finish out the season, but we are looking at 2019 now. That's smart. Like, I mean, the 2018 car has done its job. Like, they've they've reliably moved into being a uh, you know Q3 team. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Like, Haas is Haas knows how to run a racing organization, and uh, it's this sort of like pra- ruthless pragmatism uh, that's generally made them competitive wherever they go. So, yeah, seems smart. I wonder if we'll see more teams, you know, go in that uh, in that vein. I know um, Williams has long been a team that like builds their car, all of their car. Uh, but I think was it was it Williams? I think it was either Williams or McLaren, probably Williams, um, that might be buying a gearbox from Mercedes next year. So 
maybe maybe the Americans are having some influence. Uh, also in news, Jamie Chadwick becomes the first woman to win a British F3 race. So British F3 is there are Formula 3 is weird because there are regional formula threes. There's like a Formula 3 Asia and like a, or there was, I'm not sure there is anymore. Um, but British F3 is where a lot of uh, people come from. Um, they move from there to Formula 2 and then on to Formula 1. Uh, but she is the first woman to ever win uh, a race in British F3. Started from fourth on the grid. This is from ESPN.co.uk. Uh, she made a strong start and gained two places and quickly settled into second place. Uh, the Briton, she's British, stayed behind Singapore's Pavan Ravishankar for the rest of the race, who was handed a 10-second penalty for a jump start, handing Chadwick a historic victory. She says, uh, I knew that he was going to get a penalty, but I was hoping it would be a drive through so I could get my head down and win on the road. Uh, this win is more about showing that it's possible to win as a woman. When I'm on the money, I know I can be the quickest or one of the quickest. Today shows that it's possible and nothing to do with my gender. So she, uh, her first win means that she is now eighth overall in the 2018 British Formula 3 championship. So congrats to her. That's awesome. Awesome. There's a, so I'm trying I'm trying to find this article. There was a really fascinating. It was before the uh, before Force India got out of the woods. Uh, there was a piece either like uh, like on Deadspin or it might have been off of Race Fans, but it was basically arguing that um, a lot of teams found themselves have found themselves over the years in similar positions to Force India. You know, needing a lot of money to show up uh, real fast in order to sort of make ends meet. Uh, but it's gotten harder uh, over the years because of the way like. Uh, money is distributed at at the end of the season, but the thesis the thesis of the piece, and you're mentioning that um, Williams is thinking about like uh, acquiring a gearbox from a manufacturer. Uh, remind me, like the thesis of this is that if you look at the just general trend of F1 in the past like ten years uh, since the last time they had some major, um, you know. Storm and drawing uh, over over contract negotiations. A lot of the independent operators have sort of like be turned into like little sock puppets almost of the major manufacturers that they are mm-hmm. so dependent on. Like so now, like you know, is Sauber still Sauber? Not really. Sauber's a Ferrari support team in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, you know, obviously Tarrasso is always going to be you know kind of a Red Bull support yeah, team. Yeah, that one's explicit. Right, uh, but that there's just a general trend toward making all these, uh, you know, formerly like midfield uh, independent teams into like B teams uh, for the major manufacturers, and that's kind of a worrying trend overall. Because you know, obviously, so. the more the, yeah, the more you depend on a manufacturer for uh, parts, the more fraught the politics become. Um, that certainly seems to be the case anyway. Uh, they allude to it a lot on race days themselves, you know, when you've got, um, you know, a Red Bull and a Renault, uh, well, before the relationship completely fell apart, uh, you know, the question's always like, are they going to be inclined to do each other, do each other any favors, uh, here because there's, there's a partnership in place. Um, and I do worry like as these teams become more and more dependent on major manufacturers and, are kind of struggling to keep the lights on. Are they going to be able to, you know, race with all their heart? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, 
uh, <laughs> I, I think Haas is, is doing it right. And they seem to be pretty independent as far as decision making goes. You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, and it seems like the, the parts that they're borrowing, uh, there was that whole thing about their car being, you know, quote unquote, a ripoff of, uh, the 2017 Ferrari. Um, but I don't know. I, I think there's there's some kind of happy medium there. Uh, Moto GP seems to do pretty well with their like customer team thing. There's like similar things where there's like the B team of um, Yamaha, you know. Uh, so I I don't know. I I think it can work. It's not. I don't think it's a uh, immediately a bad thing. But you're right. It's it's a it seems like it could it could quickly tip bad if it's not done right. Thankfully, yeah. I think um, Ross Braun in particular has a really good head on his shoulders uh, about uh, how to make Formula One uh, a good series. Um, a few more just quick news things here. Uh, Nikki Lauda is recovering from a lung transplant after what appears to be a pretty close call. Uh, this from autosport.com. Doctors who carry it out, three-time Formula One world champion Nikki Lauda's lung transplant say his life expectancy without the operation was mere days or weeks. Lauda is recovering in a hospital in Austria after undergoing surgery at the start of the month, having fallen ill while on holiday and is expected to make a full recovery. So it sounds like he's doing well, uh, but uh, close call. So uh, hope he hope he gets better soon. We like seeing him around. Uh, and finally here, the CEO of NASCAR, guess what? Busted for DUI, uh, and then immediately ousted. So, uh, he is out. A guy named Jim France is in as an interim CEO. And I say good riddance. That, uh, is bad. Um, yeah, don't, don't need that, (laughs) you know, adding to the, uh, mystique of NASCAR. <laughs> I try not to make any like shitty jokes about NASCAR because it's not funny. You know what I mean? But it's like, oh, uh, I it is it is it does not deserve the uh, the negative reputation it has for just like a uh, a procession. There's a lot like I I have really enjoyed watching some NASCAR races. It's 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 real racing, um, but you don't need this. Uh, when when your sport is losing viewership and stuff, so um, good that he's out. Hopefully they can they can turn it around. Uh, also, in the section called dumb, I have here Kevin Magnuson uh, doing a keg stand on the Stanley Cup. So I will link that <laughs> in the show notes. Sweet. Uh, also uh, on. Um, Browsing Reddit, I found a YouTube video uh, from a Canadian broadcaster, I think, um, recounting Stroll's career before Formula One. Uh, so I've been meaning to watch that in in the wake of all this uh, Stroll news. So uh, I would like to know more about the guy who could maybe be racing for Force India. Um, not having a track walk this week. We will talk about Spa when uh, the time gets closer. Um, we did the driver standings. Let's go to fantasy formula one standings. If you want to join the shift F one league invite code, it is zero B six, two F E, which we'll put in the show notes. Uh, let's see who is on top here. Number one, speedy McCready's holding it down for another week with 1472 points. 
Behind Speedy McCready is Boah Party, followed by Haas Tax Frog. <laughs> tax Fraud, not Tax Frog. Uh, that's... I don't have a joke for that. Uh, Bobby Gondo Racing in fourth place. Orange BK... B-King. Not BKing. It might be BKing, but I'm going to go with B-King. Uh, in fifth place. Sixth place is David Coltard's Chin. Seventh place is Trendsetters, followed by Made in Haas, Scott's Tots, and Funky Bunch. I am down in 150th place. <laughs> so. Solid. Yeah. Um, let's see. We've got some oh, emails uh, here. You real quick, though. Did, did you see, uh, so they, they've announced what the uh, prize money splits are going to be for 2018? Oh, uh, I saw the headline. I did not. Well, like, just uh, I couldn't find the original article I found, but if 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 you want to talk about um, like the kind of numbers we're talking about, right? Like, w- like what are what are the lower tier teams actually like running into here? Uh-huh. Uh So Ferrari gets a hundred forty seven point two million pounds uh, at the end out of out of the twenty eighteen like prize money. That's a lot. Uh, the the that isn't sorry. It's not it's not necessarily um like. It's not necessarily like prize money. Uh, it's also like there's a revenue split uh, angle as well. All right, so they um, get they get money from uh, all teams get money from Formula One uh, revenue, and there's yeah. like they always show this like it's like a screenshot of an of an Excel spreadsheet, and there's column one, and it's always equal numbers for all teams. Then there's column two, which I think is weighted based on how they won or they finished in the championship last year. And then there's like a miscellaneous column where Ferrari gets 50 million pounds because they're Ferrari. That's literally yep. the reason. Uh, and then there's some other ones. I don't know. Yeah, but so like Ferrari, so at the end of the season, like Ferrari gets 147 million uh, out of the pie, despite not having won a championship uh, in years. Mercedes gets 128. But if you're like if you're Renault, right? So Dan, Dan Ricardo, what, what's your co- what's your t- company your team gonna be making? Uh, Forty seven is is what their what their split roughly is. Like mm. these are pretty massive deltas uh, between between the the money the teams are pulling down, uh, and it really does emphasize the degree to which like you really need one of those top spots, or else everything's gonna get a lot harder to to keep up. Uh, in terms of resources, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's interesting because you know the the top teams, um, well, I guess with the exception of Red Bull, are car manufacturers. They have other revenue streams coming in. When you get down, like Force India, does not make anything. They're they're a te- they're just a racing team. So they're trying to make the business work. They're trying to you know balance a business there. Uh, a checkbook um and even williams you know williams i think they make like weird track cars but they, you know they don't have a lot coming in yeah it's it's just about so like i could see the and it seems like this is happening to williams they're just spiraling down like they can't pull themselves out uh because they don't have the money and they can't get the money because they're not good you know yeah and in the meantime all those top teams some of that money does get redistributed, but with strings, because the top teams are able to strike deals with the other, you know, the the lower tier teams uh, to, yeah, we'll supply you with a part. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough business. 
Um, but <laughs> man, that longstanding team uh, bonus Ferrari gets the fifty-two million for just for just being Ferrari uh, is pretty amazing. <laughs> oh boy! It, you know what? This the, the sport wouldn't be the same without them. Um, let's take it to some emails. Uh, Greg from Navarre, Florida. Uh, says he posts he sends us a picture after france won the world cup and therefore adding a second star to their men's football crest the Renault f1 team matched them on the tip of their nose so we see a picture here of uh, a Renault in the pits and it's got two little stars right at the front nose so nice to see some uh some some country pride there i'll post that in the show notes as well um then we've got an email here <laughs> from uh, Eric Van Klinken. He says, I can confirm I am not Van Cleef, as was suggested in response to my previous email. I have not been to Azeroth, nor am I affiliated with either the Alliance or the Horde. Uh, he has uh, another example of crazy rain stuff. So we were talking about <laughs> Torres's daringly terrible move to pit Gasly for wets at Hockenheim. He goes back to 2009, the second race of the season at Sepang International Circuit, Malaysia. As usual, the prospect of torrential rain cast a long shadow over proceedings, so much so that one Kimi Raikkonen was pulled into the pits for his scheduled fuel and tire stop, only be fitted, to be fitted with a full set of full wets in fully dry conditions. <laughs> the rain arrived not, not long after, but Kimmy's tires had already become useless. Basically, don't put heavy rain tires on when there's no heavy rain. Uh, interestingly, that race was uh, called, I think, and half points were awarded because not more than 75% of the race distance had been run. run. So that resulted in P1 to P8 getting five points, four, three, two and a half, two, one and a half, one, and 0.5 points, which is crazy. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't remember that. Malaysia's definitely seen a few, uh, you know, again, no surprise there. Uh, It's been a place where rain has played some amazing havoc uh, with, with races. Yeah. Um, Did we lose Malaysia? I forgot. I think so. Yeah, I don't think we're doing yeah. Malaysia next year. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gone. Uh, and finally, from Jake, uh, if you haven't seen it before, he's, he's talking about um, uh, things to do during the summer break. If you haven't seen it, there's an excellent and short documentary on Amazon Prime called Yellow, 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 about the IndyCar safety slash emergency response team. Uh, there seems to be the closest there is to a gold standard in motorsports. So if you're looking for it, uh, there's something to watch. I will link all of those in the show notes. Uh, and now let's take it around the world of racing, Rob. First to DTM. Uh, we are racing at Brands Hatch Circuit, round 11 of DTM. Um, then we've got MotoGP at the Motorrad Grand Prix von Österreich Red Bull Ring. I haven't watched any MotoGP this season. Uh, it's one of those series that, like, 
if I had more time, I would super get into because it looks terrifying. And Dude, it's so good. The ra- yeah. the racing is really really good. Um, yeah, uh, I I always uh, say that if um, you want to get into it first, watch the movie called um, uh, Oh, I'm gonna f- hitting the apex. Uh, there's a lengthy documentary um, on, I think it's on Netflix, uh, it's narrated by for sure. narrated by Brad Pitt, weirdly, uh, but it's really, really good and gives you a good uh, sense of how the sport works and the a lot of the names that are that are racing there. Uh, there are there's some pretty hard uh, stuff to watch in there, so heads up if you're sensitive to, to crashes um and injuries so uh but it's it's very well done and then also listen to our episode of alt f1 with gurker dermley where he uh runs down basically how the entire sport works so that'll get you up to speed uh but yes continuing in race around the world we got cabin world truck at michigan international speedway for round 15 right up against a nascar also at michigan international speedway they are racing the Consumers Energy 400, which sounds like it's right out of They Live. Consume energy 400 times. Put on the glasses. Just a proud brand. <laughs> every, every driver will never forget how they performed at the uh, Consumer Energy 400. Uh, and there's no Formula One this weekend, unfortunately. Uh, you can go back if you've got access to Formula One TV, I guess. You can watch some of the historical archives. I was just digging uh, back there to to update the F1.cool website. Uh, they have races going all the way back to 1981, I think. Um, it's all pretty sporadic, but I think... Uh, they've got full races back to like 2002. So if you really want to watch Formula One, uh, you can you can do it that way. And I think that is available on the lower tier of, of F1 TV, which is like three bucks a month, something like that. Um, that's about it for me. You can hit us up on Twitter. You can follow at Shift F1 Podcast for show F uh, for show updates and any fun F1 stuff we run across. I'm at Drew Scanlon. Danny is at Danny O'Dwyer. Uh, Rob Zachney. Just at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Fantastic. And where can folks uh, follow you at your day job? Uh, at waypoint.vice.com. Excellent. Uh, you guys got anything fun you're working on over there? Uh, a bunch. Um, to, for this, let's see. I, I urge people to go check out uh, what I had to say about the Motorsport Manager 3 uh, mobile game that just came out. Okay. Uh, because I was extremely on my bullshit with that review and uh, got really into like teasing, teasing apart, like what I do and don't want from a uh, motorsport manager. Uh, so I think, uh, that one might be of interest to the listeners here. Okay. Nice. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I've tried, I think I tried both of them, one and two, and there's just, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want you to spoil your article or anything, but like, there's just stuff about, you're right. It's like part of it's there. And then part of it's like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I just want, uh, I just want to make the calls and not have to micromanage stuff. I don't know. Uh, I haven't played the third one, but, um, yeah, I will, I will definitely link to that and, and read that article. 
Uh, as always, you can find our show notes on F1.cool and in your podcast app. Uh, until next time, oh, I, I wanted to also mention if you are listening on someplace other than your ideal podcast player, we are on, I've tried to get us everywhere that you could possibly be. We're on Spotify now and even on Google Podcasts, which I think just came out. Not even really sure how that thing works. But uh, if there is some place that you like to listen to podcasts and we are not, let us know and we can try to figure it out. Um, but until next time, I am Drew Scanlon. Uh, Danny O'Dwyer is again uh, coddling his child probably right now. Uh, Rob Zachney is Rob Zachney. Uh, if you want to support us, Danny and I are both on Patreon. Danny at patreon.com slash noclip. I'm at patreon.com slash cloth map. Uh, anything else, Rob? Nope. Just looking forward to Spa, my favorite race of the year. Excellent. Well, have a good race weekend, everyone. Will you see you all before Spa?